From the attic of Linton's, the dilapidated... <laughs> Take that one more time. I'm leaving that in. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 268 of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast, presented by Overdrive. This is Adam. That's Jill. Hi, Jill. Hi. Okay, so this is going to be our October books. I already have done this intro once, and I choked on granola, so I failed. So let's see if I can get through this one. We're going to talk about the books we're most excited about this month in just a second. But first, something happened yesterday at time of recording that Jill and I feel the need to talk about, and it's the new Fantastic Beasts trailer. And it's so important that not only are we talking about it, but our good, good friend who has been on the pod before once, I think. Jandra, have you been on the podcast before? Yeah. I mean, I've been on it at least once, maybe twice. And then you guys talked about me that one time. Oh, was, yeah, that that's was right. Fun. Well, listen, we talked about you more than that one time. Um, <laughs> I, it's all positive. Are you kidding me? You're like our favorite person. So for everyone who has no idea what's going on right now, Jandra Sutton is on the phone. She is our good, good friend who is an author, and she was previously worked in libraries, and she came to Digipalooza, which is an overdrive event, which is how she and I became friends, and then Jill stole that friendship. I did not steal. <laughs> it's like a timeshare. <laughs> um, so just for behind-the-scenes things, the three of us all direct message and message and stuff all the time. So the Fantastic Beast trailer came out yesterday, and Jill and I were using our inter-office instant messenger to discuss it and then also we were both tweeting about it separately and Jandra saw our tweets so we felt that we had to do an emergency introduction because we all have big feelings would that be would that be accurate Jill Jandra people sure that sounds all right yeah. <laughs> okay well how about first off Jandra do you want to tell people where they can find you and how to find your wonderful book fragile which will make them cry and all that good stuff um, sure, I'm on pretty much every platform, and my username is always at Jandra Lee, and it's like Sandra, but with a J, you can't spell. Um, <laughs> and I like Twitter and Instagram the most, and then, yeah, my book is called Fragile. It's on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. You can ask bookstores to special order it. Yeah. And it's going to make you cry. It'll make you cry for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, good. Got all that. I'll, I would make sure you got that part first. I didn't want to forget to ask you for that. Okay. So, the new Fantastic Beast trailer, give us your thoughts, go. <laughs> Nothing? <laughs> <laughs> that about sums it up. I, like, like, it was a lot better than the last one, <laughs> the last trailer. Because um, I remember watching the last trailer, and I think I only watched the last trailer once, and I was like, yeah, it looks okay, it looks cool. Like, I know that I'm going to see it. You know, it's one of those things. Are you really not going to go see it? You're going to go see it. Um, there are things that I'm excited about, but then there are the same things that I'm excited about. I'm like, I think Jill kind of touched on some of it on Twitter. Um, Nagini, like, that's that's a big reveal. It's an exciting reveal, but then it's also like, wait, what? <laughs> Okay, that, okay, you just did a, I think you just compliment sandwiched a trailer, which, good job. Um, I think, I think you might have different thoughts on the Nagini thing than we do, and Jill looks like she's about to, um, I would, I would not call the Nagini reveal exciting. <laughs> I mean, I was excited, like, I told you guys, I'm excited about Nagini because I want there to be female villains in the Harry Potter universe. So sure. for me, I'm like, yes, give us all of them. We don't just want, like... 
bald white guys or guys with bleach blonde white hair that's gonna eventually gonna be bald because it's gonna fall out. Like, you know, give us more. We want more bad characters. I like villains, so like that's my thing. I've always liked villains. This but, is why we get along so well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so but but like I do understand why people are just like, wait, hold on. Like this is a very I don't know, like it could have like why didn't we know this? before and there's a whole lot of other questionable issues that I've seen people talking about on Twitter and like yeah <laughs> that that's where I fall our our yes both of those both the why did we not know this before and it and the you know because we have we live in this world where JK has this tendency to release all of this additional information later and then act as if it has always been part of canon and it makes you question everything you had previously known and part of it I have found sort of looking back on all of it last night you know there was the reveal years ago that Dumbledore is actually gay and then there's all of the things with the new school like the American schools and she got into some trouble with co-opting you know Native American stuff and now we have this Asian woman Nagini who is turns into a pet and is owned by like a white guy and and a lot of my issues with it is that this new information that comes later is affecting marginalized individuals and there doesn't seem to be a lot of thought put into that element when this news just kind of like drops like it's just like oh this is what it is it's always been that way. You just didn't know it. And it just, it, I'm not a fan. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, like, there's part of it that I'm like, okay, I get it. I'm an author. There are definitely things in my books and in my universes. Like, most people don't know that all of my books take place in the same universe. Um, even though they're not actually connected by storyline at all. Like, they're drastically different. But there's always one tie-in. Um, so there are definitely things that, like, don't make it into the books. Like, that as you're developing a plot and a story... I can see that, but at the same time, you're right. It's like, these are, one, they're a little convenient to just, like, pop up. And it's like, okay, well, did you really have this thought 20 years ago? Right. Or are you just trying to expand this universe? And then, two, at what cost? Right. You know? I I think, honestly, I think you guys are doing a very good job being politically correct about this. I'm not gonna. What she did, what she's been doing the last couple of years is, uh, it's racist and it's unfortunate. And I don't think she means to be, but I think it's something where I, and I, and I think it's okay to have these conversations because if you love something like we all love Harry Potter, I think it's okay to love something and also criticize it. What she's doing is racist. She, uh, took, um, you know, Native American and, uh, you know, tribal cultures and she kind of stole it and butchered it and she took a like you said a an, an asian character and turned her into an actual a literal snake that is then owned by a crusty it, old white dude it's like not even just that like in you know because i'm i'm re-listening to half-blood prince and and dumbledore is explaining horcruxes and how they are objects like you put your piece of a soul oh. in an object and Nagini, I forgot about that. Yeah, like that's how the Horcruxes are. Horcruxes are described as objects, and yeah. Nagini is one of the Horcruxes, and so you're now well, saying that. Well, too. Technically, well, yes, no, but and for sure, and that is like obviously like another conversation to have. But that was an unintentional one. 
So yeah, yeah. you're telling me that Voldemort intentionally, intentionally yeah. turned a woman turned into a snake into an like into a Horcrux. No, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think sometimes yeah. uh, she put stuff in to the stories after the fact to remain this is gonna sound really catty about an author who has created the thing that i love more than like anything on earth but i think she adds stuff into the story to kind of remain part of societal conversations which i think is unfortunate like say and and only doing it in a way that is convenient for um it's not going to prevent them from like making money or things so like dumbledore uh is gay or has a a, you know a homosexual relationship but we're not going to show it on screen but we are going to talk about it um, and then, like, with the Nagini thing, it's like, oh, well, it's provocative to make this female character Nagini because it will potentially, like, sexualize this character, and then it turns into a snake, and now, in three movies from now, we can have Tom Riddle show up, and they have some sort of a relationship. Like, I just feel like it's unfortunate that they seem to be doing things to continue the flow of cash coming sometimes, which bums me out. No, I mean, I think yeah. you both, I mean, you both use the word convenient. It feels convenient. Mm-hmm. Or, um, you know, I, on Twitter, likened it to, in, like, the the Stephen King book, Misery, the Annie Wilkes character goes off on the writer because he doesn't cheat. Like, he makes something convenient that does not follow the rules of the world he invented. And it feels like that. Like, it feels like a cheat. It feels convenient just to kind of do this thing and I'm like, I'm fine if authors are doing that as long as they're open about it. But for her to then be like, oh, no, I've known about this for 20 years. Really? Because nowhere. Yeah. You had plenty of opportunity yeah. to bring up this concept of the maledictus or whatever they're pronounced. You know, no, but I mean, like, you, we have Animagus. We have Crookshanks, who is like this animal, but not animal. Like, there are plenty of opportunities to bring this up as a magical type of thing in seven books, and you didn't do it. Yeah, well, and there's the whole arm, like, Voldemort's whole army is filled with, like, dark creatures. Right. Um, from werewolves to giants to whatever. So, like, even a hint. Yes. There. Like, right. and it, it could have been just the word. And, like, what is that? <laughs> you know, maybe we find out later. Right. Uh, I feel like, I feel like what we're, what I, I always feel like what I'm doing with the Harry Potter stuff anytime something new is what I see Star Wars, like, huge Star Wars fans doing online. Like, I'm a marginal <laughs> Star Wars fan. Like, I enjoy the movies, but, like, I don't take any further than that. But I feel like anytime anything new for Star Wars comes out, everyone's like, oh, what the actual hell, guys? And I know that's kind of what I'm doing right now. And I'm like you said, I'm still going to go see this and give it a chance and hope that it's we're overreacting to a trailer. I will admit, I did not see the first Fantastic Beasts in theater. I saw it on HBO months later. And I only saw it once, and I was like, meh. And I kind of was, like, only half watching it. And, like, it feels... The entire Fantastic Beast franchise feels a little superfluous to me, and so I'm not as heavily invested in it. So I don't know if I'll watch it. I do kind of want to watch it just for Jude Law, so I might. <laughs> yeah. I, might I, mean, I watched it. it for Eddie Redmayne, so. Oh, yeah, I, well. I, I, like, He's an adorable I li- Like, I saw yeah. it in theaters. I saw it in Florida, and I really identify with Newt, and there was a great line in the trailer that was, it was something Dumbledore said, which. By the way, a lot of what Dumbledore said, I was like, you manipulative jerk. <laughs> you know, it's just playing into that. But he, he said something about Newt. He's like, the thing I admire about you is that um, you're not worried about, like, you're, you're only focused about what is right. And 
it's, it made this really funny, like, parallel in my brain. So, you know, D&D, there's the character alignment test where mm-hmm. you can find where characters fall on the scale. And to me, Newt is, like, the prime example of chaotic good. I've never actually played D&D. I've just seen it played, so I, this is how I know this. But, <laughs> funny story, my husband and I decided to take the D&D character alignment test as ourselves. And I fell into chaotic good, and then I read the description of chaotic good, and I was like, oh, my God, my whole life makes sense. Like, this is more in-depth than the Myers-Briggs personality <laughs> um, So I really identified that element of new character. So I think that's part of what, like, attracts me to the film. But, yeah, I get what you're saying, though. Like, everything else, yes. Are you a Hufflepuff? I am not, though. I'm a Grifferin. Grifferin? Yeah, I'm a Gryffindor-Slytherin hybrid because it depends on the day and my mood. <laughs> wow, That's you fair. are literally the midsection between Jill and I. That's fun. Everything <laughs> makes sense now. Everything makes sense. So, yeah. <laughs> All right, we have like 50 books we should probably talk about for October, and I want to have this conversation for hours. So something tells me we're going to continue this on the social medias. So, Dandra, thank you for joining us today, and I'm sure Jill and I will see you on Twitter in like an hour. <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you very much. See you, buddy. Bye. All right. Hi again, everybody. I hope you guys enjoyed our intro with our good buddy, Jandra. We couldn't not talk about all the thoughts we had on Fantastic Beasts. So many thoughts. Um, So as we mentioned, we're going to do October books now. So for new listeners, because we have a whole bunch of those, do you want to tell people what that means? Sure. First, I'm going to tell them where to find us. We didn't yeah, you, we didn't do that yet. Good. So um, we have had a bunch of new listeners. So for those of you who are new, welcome. You can um, find our website at professionalbooknerds.com. And from there, you can get to all of our social links. We are on Twitter and Instagram at ProBookNerds. And you can email us at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. And I imagine that we will be getting many emails after our Harry Potter thing. So. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> welcome to podcasting. I was free. Yeah. <laughs> I always forget that, like... So that's where you can find us to let us know your thoughts <laughs> on our thoughts. We do read them all. And we do read them all. Um, I forgot about the fact that we get a bunch of... <laughs> with a gro- with a larger audience comes larger uh, thoughts, yeah. which is okay. So... All right, talk about October books. Our, uh, every month, Adam and I um, look ahead to the books we are looking forward to that are coming up in the upcoming month. So this month, we will be looking at October... We do not share our lists in advance with each other. Um, Sometimes we end up with repeats, but sometimes we don't. How many do you have? I have 13. I have 10. Okay, but at least two of mine, I was like, we're both going to have that. Okay. So I was just covering my bases to make sure that we have them. Okay, that's fine. Um, So we. There's a lot. There's a lot. Um, So we go back and forth just sort of sharing you don't have to write things down we put everything in the show notes so don't worry if you forget one or something sounds interesting and you can't remember the title yeah and just want to point this out um if you hate going into podcast show notes because the way that apple the the apple podcast app is is kind of irritating to do it um go to professionalbooknerds.com our about page on our website actually has each month's collection just sitting there all pretty for you so you can check it out there um, again, it's in the show notes. Everything is linked in the show notes, but I can appreciate as a person who every time I hear another author or another podcast say, check the show notes, I'm always like, I'm not going to do that. You can go to our website and they'll be there as well. Okay. That all the housekeeping? 
I think so. Solid like 20 minutes into the podcast, we're going to get to the books now. But everyone's going to be really happy about that. Uh, I suppose I should go first since I have 13. Yes. Okay. My first one is The Clockmaker's Daughter by Kate Morton. Do you have that one? I do. Okay, we can both talk about it. I feel like we're going to have a few that align this this time. So uh, this is, Kate Morton wrote The Lake House. And um, in the summer of 1862, a group of young artists led by passionate and talented Edward Radcliffe descend upon Birchwood Manor in rural Oxfordshire. Oxfordshire? Oxfordshire. I'm not sure. I don't know how the proper way to say it is. <laughs> Their plan is to spend... A summer month in the haze of inspiration and creativity, but by the time their stay is over, one woman has been shot dead while another has disappeared, Uh, a priceless heirloom is missing, and Edward Radcliffe's life is in ruins. And then 150 years later, uh, Elodie Winslow, who is a young archivist in London, uncovers a leather satchel containing two similarly unrelated items, a sepia photograph of an arresting-looking woman in Victoria clothing, and an artist's sketchbook containing a drawing of twin gable of the twin gabled house and the bend on the river. So basically, this story goes through multiple timelines and multiple characters' uh, points of view to kind of discover what happened, who did what, how this all went down, and it feels very much um, like Clue to me, like the the movie Clue. So I already like, put it on hold. Or like an, <laughs> or like an Agatha Christie novel, maybe yeah. kind of a thing. So um, that's the Clockmaker's Daughter by Kate Morton, and we we both picked that one too. I have The Witch Elm by Tana French. Good old Tana French. We love her. Um, so this is actually a standalone. It is not related to her Dublin murder series. Uh, Toby is a happy-go-lucky charmer who's dodged a scrape at work and is celebrating with friends when the night takes a turn that will change his life. He surprises two burglars who beat him and leave him for dead. Struggling to recover from his injuries, beginning to understand that he might never be the same again, he takes refuge at his family's ancestral home to care for his dying uncle, Hugo. Then a skull is found in the trunk of an elm tree in the garden, and as detectives close in, Toby is forced to face the possibility that his past may not be what he has always believed. So I have an advanced copy of this, and it's really good. Um, In some ways, uh, the scrape that is described um it reminds me a little bit of the goldfinch by don tart and so if you are a fan of that i think you'd be uh you'd like this one as well like the overall story of of where this is going and of course it's tana french and she's just fabulous all right so my next one is called muse of nightmares by laney taylor uh this is the follow-up to strange the dreamer it's a fantasy novel uh, it's like a fairy tale that I actually... She was on an episode with Naomi Novik and Rena Rosner talking about fairy tales with me that, a couple weeks ago. That was absolutely super, super fun. Um, when I first met Lainey, this is how I know that I'm like getting more comfortable interacting with authors that I've adored for so long. Because the first thing I said to her was that I was mad at her. Uh, <laughs> because the first book, Stranger Dreamer wasn't meant to be she didn't think it was going to be a two-part book and so then she realized there's a whole lot more story she wanted to tell so it's set up like a like a singular story the whole time and then at the end it ends on a ridiculous cliffhanger and i was very mad at her because i was (laughs) not ready for that um it's this world it's all about this world where uh there are certain characters mainly this strange dreamer who can like exist in his dream world and he can interact with people that are uh, sort of like gods and goddesses that are sort of attached to their world and they're sort of not. And the whole first uh, book is about how they are affecting people's lives and how strange can 
help the people that they're affecting, but also this connection that he's formed with these gods. And then I don't want to say how the secondary book or the second book is going to begin, but the first book kind of ends in a situation where it feels like there's a coming together of the gods and the non-gods and, and what's going to happen. So can't wait to, to read it. Uh, the cover is beautiful and Laney is wonderful. So that's Muse of Nightmares. So <laughs> my next book is The Library Book by Susan Orlean. Susan, of course, was on our podcast, I believe, last year, and she talked a little bit about this book, which is about um, libraries and sort of her love for libraries, but also specifically a fire that happened at the Los Angeles Public Library in the 1980s and kind of ravished the entire thing, consumed 400,000 books, uh, damaged 700,000, and Susan kind of goes looking for maybe to find out what happened um, while also talking a little bit about libraries in general. Overdrive makes an appearance in the book. Mm-hmm. So I'm very excited for this. Yeah. Um, so Susan is also a Clevelander, which is wonderful. And I will say just like a really fun behind the scenes story. Um, I did a Reddit AMA last week for Read Me Book Day. And like it got me thinking about all about like how things work at our office and stories that people never get to see. So our CEO, Steve Potash, is just like the most vibrant, energetic creative human being on the planet and he's so like he's just high energy and he's always go 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 and um but then he sometimes like he'll just come up to a random person on like a random he's in the office and he'll be like check out this cool thing that happened almost like we're a company of 10 people as opposed to the massive amount of people that do work here and um all this is to say is that when we were at book expo america susan gave Steve, our CEO, a copy of this book and showed him the part about Overdrive. And it was this moment where, like, you could see this man who's created this company, like, 32 years ago, like, was, like, really, he just was, like, quietly, like, very, like, introspective, like, looking back at everything that he basically created from the ground up. And it was just this really cool moment of him being, like, this is really, really special. So Susan appreciating us is wonderful, but the book as a whole. Right. Definitely got to check it out. Agreed. Okay. That was just a little trip down Emotion Lane. Uh, my next book is uh, Killing Commodatore by Haruki Murakami. No, you don't have this one? I almost, but I All did right. not. Whew. Okay. So this is from the author of 1Q, or is it 1Q84, his first, his other book? Not important. I believe it's 1, I think it's 1Q84. It's either that or I always right, say, I, I always say IQ84, but I think I, it's 1. Yeah. Uh, so this particular book features a 30-something-year-old portrait painter in Tokyo who is abandoned by his wife and finds himself holed up in a mountain home of a famous artist. Uh, When he discovers a previously unseen painting in the attic, he unintentionally opens a circle of mysterious circumstances. To close it, he must complete a journey that involves a mysterious ringing bell, a two-foot-high physical manifestation of an idea, a dapper businessman who lives across the valley, a precocious 13-year-old girl, a Nazi assassination attempt during World War II in Vienna, a pit in the woods behind the artist's home, and an underworld haunted by double metaphors. So this is uh, magical realism, kind of at its finest. And I'm very, very excited for it. So that's called Killing Commodatore by Haruki Murakami. I have All You Can Ever Know by Nicole Chung. So Nicole was born, it's a memoir, as a start. Nicole was born uh, severely premature to Korean parents who put her up for adoption, and she was raised by a white family. And from her childhood, she always heard the story of her adoption as a comforting um, prepackaged myth. She believed that her biological parents had made the ultimate sacrifice in the hope of giving her a better life and that, you know, she would be 
forever, you know, happy living with this, um, this white family and better life and all that stuff. Okay. But then as she grew up facing prejudices that her adoptive family couldn't see and trying to find her identity as an Asian American, she started to become curious about her biological family and decided to go search for them and find out the truth of um, her birth and the people who gave her up. And that all sort of coincided with the birth of her own child. So all you can ever know is her memoir about that um, journey she went on and sort of finding yourself and identifying yourself and when you're sort of in between um, cultures, as it were, in that way. That sounds really, really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it reminds me of... Um one of the books that I said was one of my favorite books last year. Um, I think it's The Best We Could Do by Ty Bui. Kind of like the same thing. Um, wow. I'm going to borrow that very, very soon as that comes out. My next one is Taking the Arrow Out of the Heart by Alice Walker. You good? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Alice Walker is the writer of The Color Purple, known by every person who's ever gone to a school, I think, ever. I think everyone read The Color Purple in high school or college. Uh, this is a collection of 70 poems that she wrote, and it's kind of just looking back on the life that she's lived everywhere, everything from, like, self-inquiry and, like, troubling things that she's gone through to, like, the relaxing uh, experience of baking frittatas. Like, there's everything from very serious, heavy stuff to, I um, mean, from activism and, like, her thoughts on gratitude to love and, like, then a little bit lighter stuff, too, so... I uh, just really, really excited. I've been very into poetry a lot lately. So just when I saw Alice Walker had poems coming out, I was very excited. So that's taking the arrow out of the heart. I have Elevation by Stephen King, obviously. Obviously. Like Stephen King. Uh-huh. So this is, from my understanding, not quite horror in the way that his other books are. Um, I believe it's described slightly more as a thriller, but it is. it takes place in the town of Castle Rock, which many of King's stories do. And it is about a man named Scott Carey who um, is struggling with an illness of some kind and he's not entirely sure what it is and he's hoping his doctor will figure it out. And at the same time, he is engaged in a low-grade but escalating battle with the lesbians next door whose dog regularly drops his business on Scott's lawn. (laughs) Drops his business. (laughs) One of the women is friendly, the other is not, and both are trying to launch a new restaurant, but the people of Castle Rock want no part of a gay married couple, and the place is in trouble. And when Scott finally starts to understand the prejudices they face, um, including his own, he tries to help unlikely alliances, the annual foot race, and the mystery of Scott's affliction bring out the best in people who have indulged the worst in themselves and others. So this sounds very much like a not-typical Stephen King, mm-hmm. but I'm okay with that because I always like the not-typical Stephen King books and short stories that he writes. So yeah. that's Elevation. Speaking of Castle Rock, I have big thoughts on that show too, but we should probably save our like keep our thoughts for like one massive franchise per episode yeah. I suppose. Um, this one's going to be really quick. It's Lou by Jason Reynolds. It's part of his track series. I have recommended Ghost, Patina, and Sunny, uh, and I will now recommend Lou, which is the next one. Um, Jason is writing these books that are all about these uh, young uh, kids who are growing up in sometimes not the greatest neighborhoods, and they are joining track team uh, this track team and how they came together and, and what their story is. And it's just his writing is... It's just second to none. Jason Reynolds is crazy, crazy talented. So um, that's Lou, L-U, by Jason Reynolds. 
I'm not going to go too much into this because I talked about it in our young adult anthology book episode. Um, but Don't Call Me Crazy, edited by Kelly Jensen, is out in October. This is the YA anthology um, about dealing with mental illness, and it has some pretty big names attached to it, mm-hmm. like Kristen Bell and um, Nancy Kerrigan and other writers. So, yeah, again, I talked. If you want to know more about it, you can go back to our YA anthology episode, but Don't Call Me Crazy is out in October. Do you have the Nick Offerman, Megan Mullally book on your list? I do not, because I figured you were putting it on. Yep. Okay, so Nick Offerman and Megan Mullally wrote a book together called The Greatest Love Story Ever Told in Oral History, which, if you're familiar with them, is a hilarious pun. Uh, they have, have a very, like, public, adorable relationship. Everyone everyone seemingly loves Nick Offerman and Megan Mullally. Mullally? 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 I think Malali, but I'm not Malali. entirely sure. Oh, no, I'm getting nervous because I love both of them, and I just realized I don't know how to say her last name properly. Um, they, he's Nick has written about how they kind of met a few times in his previous books, but basically they got together and wrote a book all about their love story and all the adorable pictures they take on, like, social media about them, like, making puzzles together. And just everything about these two is fantastic. And... If you are interested at all in reading this book, uh, as I'm going to do, I can't recommend highly enough to get the audiobook. Oh, for sure. It's going to be hilarious. I'm so excited. I cannot wait. I saw Nick Offerman live in Cleveland last year, and he was just, like, stunningly hilarious. And he, everyone knows them from Parks and Rec and from... Um, she was on Will and Grace. She was on Will and Grace. Thank you. I was drawing a blank. And a million other things, but like just them as people, they're so intelligent and enjoyable. Did I tell you about the time I was in a movie once, where I was an extra in a film that was filmed here in Cleveland? Um, so they were definitely in it. not on the podcast. You haven't. <laughs> and if we don't talk about something in front of a microphone, did it happen? So there's a movie, uh, an independent film that came out a couple of years ago called The Kings of Summer that was filmed here in um, Cleveland. It's actually filmed in Chagrin Falls, and I'm an extra in it. Um, and Nick Offerman and, and Megan, Megan Mullally were in the film. And um, so one very, <clears throat> one very, very hot day. <laughs> I get seriously sunburned on the filming day. I was, I was an extra in this film. And um, I actually, I spent the entire time standing next to Tony Hale from Arrested Development. And uh, I, <laughs> I'm so, that sentence that you're just going to pass by. Blows my mind I'm, so I'm much. I'm not gonna. I, I, like, I could spend like 15 minutes. I know this experience, but I was hanging out with Tony Hale. Um, <laughs> me for, and my pal Tony. For, my, me and my pal Tony for a day, <laughs> and um, but uh, yeah, Megan and and Nick were in it. They actually, um, their kids like run away for the summer, but they're parents of two different children, and so they're not like at all related. But God, it was like I'm just like standing there like this is the weirdest day ever. <laughs> Because standing right in front of me are Nick Offerman and Megan Mullally. And then we all get on the same bus to go back to, like, the Chagrin High School, like, Chagrin Falls High School <laughs> when filming is over. And I'm like, this is just so bizarre. So I'm it, I'm in a movie That's some with Nick Offerman. That's and, some good one degree of separation. Right? Not even a degree. It's not even a degree of separation. You're just friends with, with I, them. That's sure, awesome. Congratulations. Sure. Thanks. <laughs> this is the most tangent episode we've ever had, I think. And I'm really happy 100%, about Hundred percent, hundred percent. What's next for you? Oh, is it my turn? It is my turn. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna go with Bitter Orange by Claire Fuller. From the attic of Linton's, the dilapidated. <laughs> Take that one more time. I'm leaving that in. 
Thank you for providing me an intro. <laughs> oh man! I don't. Okay, an English country mansion. Okay, uh, Francis sees him. Kara first, dark and beautiful, then Peter, striking and serious. The couple is spending the summer of 1969 in the rooms below hers, while. Frances is researching the architecture in the surrounding gardens, but she's distracted. Beneath a floorboard in her bathroom, she finds a peephole that gives her access to her neighbor's private lives. To Frances's surprise, Kara and Peter are keen to get to know her. It is the first occasion that she that she's had nobody anybody to call a friend, and before long they are spending every day together. Eating lavish dinners, drinking bottle after bottle of wine, and smoking cigarettes until the ash piles up on the crumbling furniture. Francis is dazzled. Man, this is a really good description. Like, just like read it. Let's say you picked it. <laughs> I know, but I'm just like <laughs> from a craft point of view. Mm-hmm. It is very good. Right anyway, okay, but as the hot summer rolls lately on, it becomes clear that not everything is right between Kara and Peter. The stories that Kara tells don't quite add up, and as Francis becomes increasingly entangled in the lies of the glamorous, hedonistic couple, the boundaries between truth and lies, right and wrong, begin to blur. Amid the decadence, a small crime brings on a bigger one, a crime so terrible that it will brand their lives forever. So that's Bitter Orange by Claire Fuller. Go read the description because I did a terrible job <laughs> <laughs> reading it aloud to you. You powered through. The cover is gorgeous. Um, I've already put this on hold as well. Shocker. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, man. Um, my next one is the Dear Evan Hansen novel, because I love me some Dear Evan Hansen. Uh, it's by Val Emick and Stephen Levin- uh, Levinson. So, Dear Evan Hansen, ridiculous Broadway smash hit. Um, I think it won all of the Tonys. Most Probably of them, close to it. The majority of them. Uh, I Should I talk about what Dear Evan Hansen is about, or should I just let people be like, go look, it up, go look up Dear Evan Hansen? If, I don't want to like, give away the story. You can describe part of it. All right. So there is this character named Evan Hansen who he... I'm really going to struggle with explaining this. Um, Evan Hansen is drawn into this family who is grieving over the loss of their son, Connor Murphy. And Connor Murphy died tragically. And Evan Hansen writes these letters to himself all the time to kind of like just make himself feel better. And one of them, he talks about how he and Connor were friends. Um, the letter was never meant to be seen by anyone. They weren't actually really that close, but everyone assumes that they were secret best friends. And now, like, he uh, he has a chance to belong in society. Like, he's always been a misfit. And now, like, he's kind of has a platform, and he has, like, gives this wonderful speech, and people start following him, and it's, like, the lie gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And, like, he knows that he's lying, but he also is helping people deal with loss, and so it's this really, like, tangled web of situations, and I'm super excited to to read this. The uh, musical is coming to Cleveland next year, and uh, if you want to cry, just go ahead and listen to the song You Will Be Found by by them in the, the by Ben Platt on the soundtrack. It's wonderful, so read Dear Evan Hansen, go see Dear Evan Hansen if it comes to you. Listen to Dear Evan Hansen. See, you did it. Thanks. You described it. <laughs> Poorly, but... <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. It's fine. Uh, my next one is Heavy by Kiese Lehman. So, Kiese is a fearless writer. He writes essays and personal stories. And in this one, um, Heavy, he writes 
eloquently and honestly about growing up a hard-headed black son to a complicated and brilliant black mother in Jackson, Mississippi. From his early experiences of sexual violence to his suspension from college to his trek to New York as a young college professor, he charts charts his complex relationship with his mother, grandmother, anorexia, obesity, sex writing, and ultimately gambling. By attempting to name secrets and lies and his... To name... Attempting to name secrets and lies he and his mother have spent a lifetime avoiding, he asks himself, his mother, his nation, and us to confront the terrifying possibility that few in this nation actually know how to responsibly love and even fewer want to live under the weight of actually becoming free. So, um, Kiese is very well known for his personal narratives and essays, and it's getting a lot of good buzz, um, and I'm really excited for this one. Nice. Uh, my next one is Always Look on the Bright Side of Life by Eric Idle. I almost did, but I didn't. Yeah, so it's described as a sort of biography, which is wonderful. Uh, Eric Idle, if you are unfamiliar, is the founding member of Monty Python. Um, Monty Python stuff played a huge part in my childhood. I'm 32, but I'm the youngest of four, and all of my siblings had friends and like parents who had just awesome comedy backgrounds like all my comedy stuff that i say is the greatest things and i've talked about this a bunch like it's like mel brooks and monty python and all of these like old like show of shows and all stuff like that so uh eric idol goes through kind of his whole life of uh just how he came to be and how he came to be friends with like george harrison and david bowie and robin williams and just ridiculous stuff like that um my, if you're somehow unfamiliar, Always Look on the Bright Side of Life is a song from Life of Brian, which might be the funniest movie, movie of all time. It's also in Spamalot. It's also in Spamalot, which is their uh, their Broadway show that is incredible as well. Um, Holy Grail is the movie that probably everyone knows the most. Right. Um, but Life of Brian is better, I think, personally. It was originally called Jesus Christ Lust for Glory. <laughs> it's about the guy who gets who's born right. in the manger next to Jesus. And it's just, I love it so much. Um, so, yeah, that's Always Look on the Bright Side of Life by Eric Idle. Um, this is going to be another one that the audiobook feels like it will be the win. For sure. My next one is called I'll Be There for You, the one about friends. <laughs> I definitely the most perfect title. I definitely wasn't going to pick this. Uh, so, journalist and pop culture writer Kelsey Miller has um, a book out about the TV show Friends, which I love. Um, I've actually been rewatching it uh, recently. Um, I can't even tell you how many times I've watched the series. So, uh, she, you know, it's a retrospective of the television show. Goes into friends' history and lore, exploring all aspects of the show, from its unlikely origins to the societal conditions that amplified its success. You know, we talk. We have to talk about the haircut, the Rachel, and <laughs> <laughs> the cast rise to fame in contemporary coffee culture, <laughs> which always kills me whenever I watch the show because I'm like, you people have jobs. How are you always at the coffee shop? I don't understand. <laughs> I- it's like I know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like friends. No, that's entirely fair. Like, <laughs> no, I mean, it's not... I know there are tons of people, and I, you know, the funny thing is, I don't watch a lot of sitcoms. I, I really don't watch any sitcoms. Yeah. But I love 
friends, mm-hmm. despite the fact that it's definitely problematic in certain elements mm-hmm. of the show. Like, there's a lot of problems. Oh, yeah. But um, I'm I'm actually really looking forward to this. I like Kelsey Miller's other writing, and I'm, I'm excited to see um, what she has to say about the show mm-hmm. and just sort of reading about the show. And, and I like television retrospectives like this um, yeah. when they sort of do deep dives into shows. Nice. So, yeah. I'll be there for you, the one about friends. <laughs> <laughs> Such a good name. I know. Uh, my next one is called Shadow of the Fox by Julie Kagawa. It is a fantasy folktale based in Japanese mythology. Uh, so every millennium, one age ends and another age dawns, and whoever holds the Scroll of a Thousand Prayers holds the power to call the great Kami dragon from the sea and ask for uh, ask any one wish they want. So the time is near, and missing pieces of the scroll will be sought throughout the land. Uh, the holder of the first piece is a humble, unknown peasant girl with a secret, with a dangerous secret. Uh, demons have burned to the ground the temple that Yumeko was raised in, killing everyone within, including the masters who trained her to both use and hide her shape-shifting powers. Uh, she escapes with the temple's greatest treasure, one part of the ancient scroll. Fate thrusts her into the path of a mysterious samurai, King Tatsumi of the Shadow Clan, uh, and she knows uh, that she ha- or he has what she seeks, and is under orders to kill anything and anyone who stands between him and the scroll. So I, this sounded really, really awesome. And holy God, is the cover gorgeous. So that's Shadow of the Fox Let by Julie Kagawa. Ooh, that's yeah. very pretty. Right? It's all like shiny and lovely. Yes, agreed. How many more do you have left? I have three. I have only one. Okay, let me. I'll do one really quickly. Uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda has... Also bo- did not put this on my list. Yeah, he has a book coming out called Good Morning, Good Night, and it's little pep talks for me and you. Um, every single morning and evening, Lin-Manuel Miranda, creator of Hamilton, if you somehow don't know that, uh, he creates, like, he'll just write little affirmations on Twitter in the morning, like, hey, you're doing great, you got this. And then one in the evening, like, you did great, you get, you had that, you nice job, like, much more eloquent than that. And people were like, you should make a book of this. And so he worked uh, with a, I want to find the, uh, Johnny Sun is the name of the illustrator. And they basically just created a, a book of affirmations called Good Morning, Good Night. So it's little pep talks. And Lin-Manuel is just a treasure and we don't deserve him. So that's that. So now you, now you can do another one. So my last one is Everything's Trash, But It's Okay by Phoebe Robinson. Wow. You've got really great named books this this month. I know, I did, right? So, um, Phoebe is back. She had one come out a couple years ago called Please Don't Touch My Hair. Mm-hmm. Um, so she is, yeah, she has this next one. Um, written in her trademark, an unfiltered and singularly witty style, Robinson's latest essay collection is A Call to Arms. She tackles a wide range of topics, such as giving feminism a tough love, talk in hopes it can become more intersectional, telling society's beauty standards to kick rocks, and takes a hard look at our culture's obsession with work. Robinson also gets personal exploring debt she has hidden from her parents, how dating is mainly a warmed-over bowl of hot mess, and maybe most importantly, meeting Bono not once but twice. She struggled with being a woman with a political mind and a woman with an ever-changing gene size. She knows about trash not only because she sees it every day, but also because she's seen about 100,000 hours of reality TV and zero hours of Schindler's List. Everything's trash, but it's okay as a candid perspective to a, for a generation that has had the rug pulled out from under it. 
too many times to count, as well as an intimate conversation with a new best friend. So that is everything's trash, but it's okay. I'm also fairly certain that Phoebe is from Cleveland. I will, do you want to look that up? Or you... I am looking it up right now. Right. I am at least, or like partially, yeah. She is, she is from the Cleveland Akron area. Nice. Fun fact. Um, I have two more. One of them is called Alice Isn't Dead by Joseph Fink. Joseph Fink is the creator of Welcome to Night Vale, the podcast that is just phenomenal. Um, I'll go through this quick, but basically the main character, uh, Keisha Lewis, is mourning the loss of her wife, Alice, who disappeared two years ago. There's a search, and there was basically no one was found. There was a funeral. She's getting closure. And then uh, she starts seeing her wife over and over again in, like, background report, like, news reports all over America. So she drops everything, goes to try and figure out what happened, and she discovers uh, buried crimes and monsters and government conspiracies and haunted service stations and all sorts of crazy, crazy stuff. So it just sounds really good. I absolutely love Welcome to Night Vale, so I thought that this would be wonderful. It's called Alice Isn't Dead by Joseph Fink. And then my last one that I want to talk about for a specific reason is Swing by Kwame Alexander and Mary Rand Hess. Kwame Alexander is a friend of the shows. He's been on uh, a few. He's been on once. I've talked to him a bunch of other times about stuff. And he stole my photo that I put on Twitter or nice. I put on Instagram nice. yesterday for this. I took a fancy black and white and color photo. Um, but the reason I want to tell you all about this is that this is a, another story that he wrote that is a, kind of like a novel in verse. And it's basically for anyone who is struggling to find their own voice and they, they can't. And it's just really, really wonderful. And the cool thing is it doesn't come out till uh, later in October. But if you go to Overdrive Libs on Twitter, we have an exclusive uh, first listen of it. So we actually have the first 25 minutes of the audiobook, And it's read by Kwame and Mary. Um, which is really, really cool. So go check that out on Twitter. The, the novel is called Swing. It's beautiful. I'm really excited to dive into it myself. So um, Kwame is amazing. If you haven't checked out his show on Facebook Watch called Bookish, you should definitely do that. Um, so yeah, so those are all of our October books and our thoughts on Fantastic Beasts and background stories about all sorts of stuff. You guys got a whole big thing here. Uh, yeah. So... Um, this comes out Thursday. Also, be sure to check out. We'll have a bonus episode for you on Saturday, all about the Big Library Read program. Um, is there anything else you can think that people need to know about? Okay, I think that's everything. All right, this turned out to be longer than we were expecting. Hope you guys enjoy it. Let us know what you're reading this month, whether you knew or you've been listening for years. And hope you guys enjoyed this full lengthy episode of the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book. And together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.